Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show for the weekend of July 17th through the 19th, 2020. My name's Paulo, and I'm your host. So first off, apologies for the slightly belated episode. Instead of recording the podcast on my usual schedule, I actually went out to go check out the Neowise Comet and try to grab some pictures before it goes away for the next 6,000 years, give or take. Uh, That said, it kind of works out because some relatively recent breaking news, or at least breaking rumors, uh, came out in the past day or so that I wanted to cover, so uh, we'll get to those shortly. However, before that, uh, the big news this week is, of course, the Tenet Watch. So, you know, uh, the most recent news before this most recent update was that Tenet was going to come out on August 12th. Uh, this is That was the second date, uh, or I guess the third date technically, but the second move from first the original July 17th weekend, which is actually would have been this past weekend, um, you know, to July 31st and then to August 12th. Uh, so the third time moving, moving the movie, they ended up actually... Uh, not setting a date. They took it off the release calendar. Now, that doesn't mean they're planning on not releasing it, but due to, you know, the lack of abatement of coronavirus cases across the U.S., uh, Warner has announced they are removing it from the schedule and, um, you know, who knows when it's going to come out. Um, we don't. We currently don't have a date. So, you know, let's look at why. Uh, so there are a couple things here. Let's look at why first. So while here in New York, we finally reached phase four of reopenings, which notably would have included movie theaters in the original draft of the reopening plan, but uh, currently they're still closed. Um, in any case, the rest of the country is still seeing a ramping up of COVID cases. For context, uh, we were at about 20,000 new cases a day nationwide, mostly in the Northeast and Seattle. Uh, plus, you know, move, um, you know, when when we went into lockdown back in March. Currently, we're at about 70,000 new cases a day, now predominantly in uh, Arizona, Florida, Texas, and you know various other states as well. Um, of the 5,000-plus uh, movie theaters in the country, only about 1,000 or so, um, which is about you know, 20-ish percent, um, you know, would mo- uh, are, are open, and most of that are actually drive-in theaters using old films. Um, obviously, as we've noted before, uh, you know, most of the uh, 4,000 remaining theaters are closed because there are no new movies. Um, but, you know, even with new movies, we have states, uh, specifically New York and California, who are first and third in the number of theaters um, staying closed because of government regulation. And I anticipate that the other two, two states in the top four, um, you know, Florida and Texas, uh, will have regulations in place on movie theaters, um, potentially being forced to close down soon, dare I say, hopefully. Um, So yeah, insert your weekly reminder here to uh, wear your damn masks and and keep your social distance from each other. Um, But in any case, you know, obviously that's why we can't, you know, open uh, Tenet in the U.S. at the moment. There just aren't theaters that are going to be open for it. Um, And obviously it's a health risk. So What's the fallout for other films? Well, first off, uh, Warner Brothers also announced that they are moving the eighth Conjuring movie from September 11th to June 4th, 2021. Uh, that probably, uh, you know, it moves more related to the film needing research than anything related to the pandemic. Um, and the research obviously won't happen in time for the film, so uh, that's going to have to move to a year later. Um, as of right now, Warner also has not yet moved Wonder Woman 1984 from October 2nd. Um, you know, ignoring relatively smaller studios, uh, currently Mulan is the next big studio film slated to release on August 21st, and 20th Century's uh, New Mutants is still holding steady on August 
28th. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney does end up moving those films again. Uh, I think they're pretty reluctant to be the first one back. Um, looking at smaller films, you know, the Sony film, The Broken Hearts Gallery, which is produced by Selena Gomez, was originally August 7th. It actually is now off the release schedule. There's a TBD date uh, by its name. And then the uh, Road Rage film, Unhinged, um, is really the only test film left. It's it's going to be actually opening next weekend uh, on July 31st. Um, you know, many exhibitors were planning on having Tenet be the first major film that they opened for, and they wanted to open a couple weeks in advance for that. But with Tenet, you know, not coming out, then they're going to be delayed opening again as well. So let's speculate a little bit. Where does Tenet go from here? Well, going back a week or so, you know, there was a story in Vulture that apparently Warner Brothers had considered releasing the film internationally at first, um, you know, given that two-thirds of the move of tickets are expected to come from overseas. And, you know, in general, the international com- uh, movie scene has their sit together a little bit better than here and domestically it does. Um so yeah, that kind of makes sense. But Nolan, uh, Chris Nolan, was a lover of the cinema experience and wants to help out the domestic exhibitor market. So he kind of nixed that idea. Um, I wouldn't be surprised though if he's kind of strong-armed by Warner into allowing for an international first rollout, which would be very different um, from you know the state, the the U.S. first approach that's, that many Hollywood films has taken. Um, there have been some exceptions with you know uh, some Marvel movies. I think releasing maybe a week, if not less, uh, ahead of the U.S. release date, just because you know they don't want to have multiple weeks um, in theaters abroad because that might affect piracy. Um, one solution, you know, that's that's happened actually is with the aforementioned unhinged film. It actually already released in Germany, I believe, um, but it only released in the German language dub, um, no subtitles in English. So that would reduce piracy because unless you already also speak German, uh, you know, you wouldn't be able to see see that then, um, you know. You know, uh, I, I, I imagine that international movie owners, theater owners, are very interested in having this kind of approach because obviously, you know, it's not really fair for them that they can't open up even if the rest of their country is open up because the U.S., you know, Hollywood isn't releasing, their, distributing their films worldwide because they want to wait for the U.S. market and the U.S. doesn't have those stuff together. That's definitely frustrating. Um, you know, even within the domestic market, though, they may go ahead and release it even without the big markets, such as you know, New York, LA, Florida, Texas. Um, you know, even New Jersey uh, is is currently blocked, and and a judge has has ruled that uh, you know freedom of expression uh, doesn't really apply in this case here, which is a case one New Jersey movie owner tried to make. Um, the National Association of Theater Owners, the head there, you know, said that hey, maybe this should happen. Maybe we should let you know. Tenet and other films open, you know, in not necessarily the biggest markets, but just in other uh, markets as well, just so that movie run like movie theater operators and you know other states can have a chance for for some revenue and not be held up hostage by the by the uh, states with lots of um, uh, infections going on. Um, there is a rumored release date that that September 11th date vacated by Conjuring, maybe the new date for uh, for. Um, tenant, but you know we'll see. We'll see there. Uh, one other thing complicating all of this, you know, kind of oh, we're going to release it earlier or not, um, is China, which is the other major target, you know, for Tenet as a as a film. Um, they've said that they're not going to allow films longer than two hours to play in theaters, uh, mostly to minimize potential exposure to the virus for moviegoers. 
Tenet is currently uh, billed at two and a half hours long, though a pretty reliable source says that apparently it won't be enforced for Tenet, so, you know, who knows. Uh, I'm curious, though, if this does happen and Tenet does end up taking an international approach first, especially with China, in, again, in order to reduce the amount of piracy that goes over there, which is, you know, I, I'm hesitant to say here in the States that piracy has a material effect on um, you know, box office revenue here in the States. But I know in China and in, in, in the Asian market, that def- that definitely does have an impact. So um, I'd be curious to see if Tenet does end up releasing first in China um, and, this, and the Asian market. And then if Disney will follow suit with Mulan, because obviously that has a lot, large interest in the Chinese market as well. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Disney releases first in China and then eventually in the US, you know, a couple weeks or even more later. Um so yeah, uh, speaking of China, you know they actually reopened their theaters this week. Um, the Shanghai International Film Festival is scheduled to start on uh, Saturday the twenty fifth, um, and we had theaters open, you know, a couple days ago on the twentieth. Um, that being said, high risk areas such as Beijing and other major uh, population areas aren't opening at first. Um, in the first twenty four hours of opening in these kind of you know low risk areas, uh, it's made about half a million US dollars uh, in in ticket sales. Um, the number one film was a local art film called A First Farewell, um, and the t- top international film was Pixar's Coco at third place. Um, these aired alongside other hits from China from 2013 to 2019, including the animated film Neza, animated film White Snake, uh, patriotic film Wolf Warrior Two, and you know the bizarre comedy film from 2016, The Mermaid. Um, this coming weekend, we're also looking at seeing other international films come to China, uh, Doolittle, Bloodshot, and Zootopia. Uh, and then on July 31st, we're going to see Sonic the Hedgehog premiere in China, um, as well as the re-release of Big Hero 6. Uh, you know, okay, so the, so you know, speaking of international markets, the next really big news I wanted to cover is actually uh, the South Korean film Peninsula premiered this past weekend. Um, the reason I'm excited to talk about this is this is the sequel to the 2016 zombie film Train to Busan, which was became popular on Netflix. Um, so Peninsula opened to number one uh, in Korea, Taiwan, Vietnam, and Singapore um, in those five Asian markets. Totaled, um, you know, about. Uh, you know, I believe um, 20 is million world uh, across those markets. In comparison to that $20 million mark, um, the top five films uh, in mid-March, kind of the start of the global shutdown, uh, there were only $31 million total across all five films. So this pretty this bodes well that you know these five markets are able to get $20 million US for this one film. Um, in Korea, it made $13.2 million US dollars, including the biggest one-day opening number in Korea for the year. Um, it's the second film since February to have 1 million admissions in the country, uh, 1.8 million total to be exact. Um, this also helped IMAX reach a million dollars for the first uh, weekend since the pandemic, uh, with about 750 million, um, you know, across all the all the markets for IMAX films here. Um, this is the second largest IMAX opening for Korean film in that market ever. Uh, so currently in the U.S., it's slated to release August 7th by Wellgo Entertainment. Um, not sure which markets in the U.S. it'll open in, but uh, this coming week, it, the peninsula is going to see an international expansion to Thailand, Cambodia, and various European markets as well. Um, so I, su- I see this legging, legging out well over the next few weeks. Um, I've seen that the reviews aren't quite as good as they were for Train to Busan, but you know we'll see. I think the dearth of content out there will, will help propel this uh, in the long run. Uh, moving to the domestic market, uh, the top five uh, of this past weekend were, again, mostly driven by drive-in theaters and, again, uh, you know, 
uh, you know, old films, um, you know, being replayed in predominantly drive-in theaters. Um, it looks like, you know, there's about a 1.2,000, uh, 1,200, um, you know, theaters open out of about the 5,000, uh, you know, in the U.S. Um, the top performing film was the live action release, a re-release of um, Beauty and the Beast uh, with $467,000 in 527 locations. Uh, this is followed by Iron Man with 430,000 in 462 theaters. And in Three, we have uh, Queen's inspired the Queen inspired film Bohemian Rhapsody uh, for two hundred forty thousand in three hundred seventy six theaters. Um, I actually have a vacation next month um, in a couple of weeks uh, in upstate New York, uh, and so I'm looking forward to actually maybe getting a chance to use the rental car I'll be having to go to a drive-in theater actually for the first time ever. So that that'll be exciting. Uh, moving over to the streaming side of things, let's look at some individual movies. Uh, Tom Hanks' great war film Greyhound premiered on Apple TV um, this past weekend. It's the largest opening weekend release uh, on that service to date. Um, supposedly, the total viewing numbers were in line with what you'd expect for a summer theatrical release of a blockbuster film. So good on Apple for snapping this one up. Uh, it seems to have paid off. About 30% of viewers of the film were new to the Apple TV service, though Again, we're not sure if all those viewers stayed, stuck around or if they were just using a free trial uh, to watch this one movie. Uh, next up, and what is barely a surprise, Hamilton was the most most watched title of any streaming platform in the first weekend of July. Um, 80% of all Disney Plus subscribers ended up watching it, and it made up 87% of all streaming time on the Disney Plus platform during that first week. So again, props to the Hamilton team. Um, let's see, moving over to Netflix, uh, The Five Bloods, which was spikely joined on the Vietnam War, released back in June. Uh, it's had 27 million views since then, not bad at all. Um, also doing really well is the Charlie's Theron film, The Old Guard. Um, I haven't seen it myself, but apparently it is now in the top 10 most popular films of all time uh, at Netflix and has reached 72 million households in four weeks. How much of that was to completion versus, you know, a couple of minutes of checking it out? Uh, we don't know, but again, pretty significant. And considering that it was made for only $77 million um, and got the director Gina Prin Prince uh, Bythewood to, you know, that, that, the be the first female black director on that top 10 list. Um, seems like a, a win all around. Uh, there's supposedly talks that there will be a sequel to this. So again, congrats to that team. Um, also, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Viacom pulled the SpongeBob Spuns on the Run film from theatrical release this year to boost uh, the CBS All Access relaunch next year. Um, apparently, you know, that's only for the domestic market. Internationally, Netflix got the rights for that film internationally. So they've got that going for them as well. As a whole, Netflix did beat their Q2 expectations for new subscribers. They signed on 10 million new subscribers um, against an 8.26 million uh, subscriber forecast. However, it looks like uh, Q3 will be a bit of a slower growth. It sounds like you know most of their growth uh, in the past couple of quarters have been predominantly uh, kind of sifted forward and accelerated. It's not really sustainable. So um, you know it looks like Q3 they're estimating 2.5 million new subscribers. And while this may not be strictly streaming movie news, I found it pretty interesting, and it's my podcast, so deal with it. Uh, Hulu had a study done identifying four kinds of streamers. Um, so first, we have the therapeutic streamer who watches content to decompress, uh, usually sows uh, tins with nostalgia. 
Um, and this, you know, generally is the predominant way that people tend to watch. The, the demographics make up the, the the general population as a whole. Um, next up, we have classic streamers who, you know, kind of like the old days of television, they have a routine on what they watch, when they watch it, and with whom they watch it. Um, these are usually families, married couples, uh, and, you know, people who are slightly more affluent than the general population. Um, number three, we have indulgent streamers, and these are the binge watchers who watch seasons or you know entire shows in one go over a weekend. Uh, usually, these tend to be a little bit older and living alone. Um, and finally, we have the curated streamers. So they don't watch everything; they just watch the content that is part of the cultural conversation and relevant, and they want to be a part of that conversation. Uh, as expected, this is Gen Z, um, and you know, usually a little bit younger than the general population. Um, I personally definitely identify most with the classic streamers in that, uh, at least for me, most of my streaming watching is actually anime uh, through Funimation or Crunchyroll, um, and I watch my anime on a pretty regular schedule. I watch. Um, in the same the same shows on the same day of the week. Um, though I do occasionally dabble in indulgent viewing when maybe there's something old that I that I discover I want to like kind of watch all of it at once. Um, or if there's something new that you know everyone's watching that happens to align with my interests, you know I'm not gonna watch. I I never watched uh, watch it, The Tiger King, um, just because that that kind of show isn't really what I'm interested in. But you know if there was something along those lines, like this new Muppet show coming out on Disney Plus, I think at the end of the month it's something I'm I'm into and I'll probably be watching. Um, but in any case, I'm burying the lead a bit on streaming news. The big news is, of course, that last week, uh, NBC's Peacock s- streaming service launched. Um, as a reminder, it's the free-to-watch streaming service primarily of NBC Universal content um, supported by ads, um, though there is a premium version that does remove ads for a fee. Um, that free version, though, is a big differentiator as you know, all other streaming platforms, um, you have to pay a subscription in order to even get access to the content. So that's pretty necessary given that NBC is really the last of the major studios to come out with their own streaming platform. Uh, Numbers-wise, it doesn't look terrible, though also not amazing. Um, It looks like in the last six days or so since launching, um, the app has been downloaded on mobile uh, 1.5 million times. Uh, In comparison, Quibi uh, launched with only 1.2 million downloads. And, you know, as we mentioned last week, that was like a 92% churn rate down the road. Um, And HBO Max, you know, took two weeks to get to 1.7 million downloads. So, um, you know, uh, Peacock is pacing ahead of those. Um, Though that being said, numbers are muddled a little bit. Uh, HBO obviously had the pre-existing HBO Now users who wouldn't have needed to re-download the app. Uh, And, you know, uh, NBC's Universal's parent company, Comcast, uh, made the app available to download for their users of Xfinity um, a little bit in advance. Um, So at the time of reporting, the app was number one uh, for non-game apps on Google Play and number 26 on iTunes for non-game apps. Um, again, in comparison, Disney Plus had 13 million. That's almost uh, a little bit less than 10 times as many viewers in the first week since downloading. So uh, Peacock, definitely not the biggest streaming app out there. But again, it's not definitely not in last place or even second to last. Um, I and definitely anticipate it'll have a higher retention rate than Kirby did. That said, NBC Peacock still does have its own share of problems. Uh, in, fact, in fact, a lot of problems similar with what HBO Max was faring. 
Um, the biggest one is, of course, how they get onto the Amazon and Roku stores for smart TVs, um, which, again, at the time of recording, they have not yet come out on those platforms, which make up 70 to 80 percent of all connected TVs. Um, the negotiations seem to be stalled not around the refs here, but more so additional bonuses that HBO Max and Peacock will have to pay out to the platforms. Uh, these are things such as ad inventory or free content to support the free um, Roku channel and Prime Video platforms and just a bunch of other add-ons to kind of sweeten the deal. Um, you know, the logic here for Amazon and Roku is that, hey, we're bringing value to the streaming platforms and giving you, you know, access to these consumers. Um, and, you know, in the past couple of years, their reach has grown exponentially. Um, so, you know, at the time, several years ago, they might have planned on, you know, pending these less favorable deals. But now that they know they kind of have the leverage here, um, it's not surprising that Amazon and Roku are kind of hardballing the, the streaming services. Uh, in particular, uh, Amazon wants to keep uh, the old integration with the HBO Prime channel uh, for its Prime video service. And obviously, Warner Media wants to remove that, that, that integration so that it drives users to the HBO Max platform. So obviously, that's a point of contention. Uh, one thing that was also interesting I noticed was, uh, I found was that uh, NBC's marketing strategy for Peacock was pretty interesting compared to other platforms and may or may not have contributed to you know these numbers. I don't know if they could have been higher or lower, but uh, in any case, Apple had spent $54 million in the three months prior to the Apple TV launch uh, and HBO Max and Disney both spent about $5 million marketing their services. Um, NBC only spent 30,000, you know, not even half a million, not even, um, you know, not even like 5% of a million, I believe my math is right. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, they, they got away with this by using primarily in-network properties to advertise the service. Obviously, the NBC, you know, channel and whatever other platforms that they happen to have, they're, they're advertising there, um, you know, so they don't have to pay any cost for that. Um, it, it was calculated, I found in the report, that if they had paid for the equivalent amount of advertising, it looked like they, they would have spent about $25 million. So they're definitely aggressively marketing this, but only in channels where those already invested in the NBC brand, if you can call it invested, uh, was already going was likely to see it, and they weren't really trying to reach new users and new viewers. Um, this is, I guess, kind of interesting just because, you know, HBO and NBC and eventually CBS All Access, you know, or I guess that's technically out now, but those platforms are, are you know, to some degree streaming or cable companies um, who are trying to get into the, the streaming game, whereas Disney, who, yes, they do have ABC, but, you know, their main thing is, is Disney movies, right? Um, and the theme parks, and then obviously Netflix, um, you know, isn't as, as, as either, and Apple is definitely not. Um, those are definitely going much more harder on the advertising. So we'll, we'll see how that works. If, if, this paid off for Peacock, you know, CBS All Access next year could probably do a lot of the same thing. Finally, uh, Peacock is also facing similar issues to HBO Max in that uh, they have pre-existing deals with other streaming platforms, and so many titles on the service will eventually come off the, the services. Um, you know, Evan Almighty, um, you know, that comedy movie from way back when, uh, was on the service for all but 18 hours from launch before leaving at 6 p.m. the same day it launched. Um, the original Jurassic Park trilogy will be leaving the service uh, 17 days uh, on the service, you know, eventually going to Netflix. Um, Shrek, I believe, is the only movie from DreamWorks uh, on the platform. I believe the others were tied up in other streaming deals. Um, on the HBO Max side of things, you know, the Harry Potter franchise is a huge deal for the Warner Media Company. Those are going to be leaving HBO Max um, in late August. Um, so yeah, you, 
if you're asking people to pay for a service, it's kind of sucks that these content's going to be leaving. Um, I guess and uh, you know Peacock is getting around that by hey, it's a free service. What are you complaining about? Um, that being said, there is a bright side to, to, to some recent events actually. So uh, DreamWorks, who, who's owned by NBC Universal, um, they put out Trolls World Tour earlier this year, if you remember, and there was that whole kerfuffle about you know skipping the theatrical window and going to going straight to streaming and PVOD and, and not having a, th- a traditional theatrical release. Well, there was this old deal between NBC Universal and HBO Warner Media that you know theatrical releases from NBC Universal would make their way to HBO first after you know coming out of the uh, streaming platform. Well, because you know Trolls World Tour did not have a traditional streaming pla- uh, release, uh, a traditional theatrical release, excuse me. It's actually going to end up going straight to Peacock eventually down the line. So I guess this works out for them. Again, this is kind of a, just a continuing saga of, you know, as these cable and internet providing companies, you know, Comcast specifically, uh, are more invested in, you know, getting, um, you know, controlling controlling things, they may want to move away from theatrical releases. And this is another salvo in that war. In any case, the last bit of uh, Peacock news I wanted to share isn't really news. It's kind of an oddity. Apparently, Peacock included a recipe for chocolate cake on its terms and service, and people have gone and baked that cake. So, yeah, I guess that's a thing. Um, In any case, finally, bringing it full circle for this episode, I wanted to talk about some rumors about movies coming to streaming instead of a theatrical release. Uh, specifically, there was a leaked, supposedly a leaked video uh, on Twitter of a promo that suggested that New Mutants, the long maligned multiple delays for like the past two or three years at this point film New Mutants uh, will be coming direct to streaming on Disney+. Plus. Now, Disney has come out. They've said that this leak is a fake. Uh, and others have speculated that it's not really coming to Disney+. Plus. It's instead a TV ad showing new footage for, you know, just a, a spot for advertising the film in general. Um, I believe this would be a panel about New Mutants in the now online San Diego Comic-Con. That's this week. Um, specifically tomorrow or today, depending on when you listen to this, uh, on the 23rd. So who knows what, what the announcement will be on the panel. It will end up coming to streaming if it's going to have a new theatrical release date, if it's going to be the first movie back on August 28th, who knows? Um, another m- rumor floating around about a new date. Uh, so the Bond film, No Time to Die, it was originally, it was like the f- biggest film, or I guess this, one of the big films you know, that got moved by coronavirus, obviously. Um, it got moved to November 20th this year, uh, so a Thanksgiving period. Um, there are rumors from some various Bond websites. I believe the one that first leaked that uh, Billie Eilish was going to do the uh, new theme song. Um, that a 2020 summer 2021 release window is under consideration. Now, I'm slightly skeptical of this because no Bond film for the last 30 years has released, not since the 1989 Bond film License to Kill opened to number four at the box office in its opening weekend. Uh, but who knows? We'll see if this, this has any weight to it. Um, as of right now, again, uh, Universal MGM is planning on keeping the November 20th date for Bond, No Time to Die. And on top of that, we have no more time in this podcast. I'm going to wrap it up here so I can kind of release this on time. Uh, Hopefully, uh, San Diego Comic-Con will give us uh, a lot of updates this week about movies and such. Um, You know, so yeah, apologies again for the delayed release this week. Uh, Hopefully, I'll be on time next week. But yeah, Uh, if you have any feedback or suggestions uh, for box office concepts to cover, shoot me an email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, 
leave a review there or you know on podchaser.com. It really helps us out. Um, I'll include links to those in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com as well as deadline.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. Find his stuff at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. Bye, guys. Bye.